You know, it's um, interesting to sing about God's, that there's nothing that God can't do, right? All things are possible. We just sung that, I mean, and uh, today I want to touch a little bit on that. Uh, I did not plan on, on, the, on the songs this morning, uh, but I am always amazed at, at, as I prepare for this, for, for, for this morning, as I prepare for Sabbath, and, I, and we have a worship team that they coordinate. I tell them, I say, hey, I'm going to be talking about this for these upcoming weeks, and these, these will be the themes I'm always amazed on how the Spirit leads. If you're visiting with us and you're, and, and, and you're thinking to yourself, well, how come we didn't sing any hymns? Well, we, we sing hymns, but just not quite like in the hymnal. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with singing from hymns either. But we have chosen to have a, a different format and even so in this different format it uh, always amazes me how God works through his spirit because there is no one set of prescribed way to worship the Lord some of you are probably shaking your heads and like what but there isn't there is no one set of way to worship God. We come and we worship Him as we are. He takes that. But at the same time, I am not also diminishing our responsibility to come. We have, we have to come to God knowing that all things are possible. So, this morning, before I, I, I begin, I'd like to invite you to pray with me one more time. Lord, we thank you for reminding us through song that all things are possible. We thank you for reminding us this week that you are still in control. But Lord, as we are about to open your word, I pray that you bless us through your spirit. Lord, I thank you for Rihanna's prayer not just for myself, but also for us as a church, to listen to your word this morning, to understand it, and to apply it. But we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, Rick talked about faith, right? If there's one thing that I take away from his sermon other than faith, it's his backpack. I mean, the moment that he started speaking, I'm like, where is he? There's nobody up on the, uh, on the platform. And then I saw him walking down the aisle with a backpack, beginning to talk about a journey, right? So this morning, I want to I kind of springboard off, off his topic as he talked about us having faith and trusting God, living faith every single day outright, right? All right. So we're going we're gonna to take that, we're going to run with that a little bit. Uh, I want to share with you a story first. A name by a Frenchman by the name of Jean-Francois Gravelette Blondin. 
I think I pronounced that kind of close, or did I butcher that? Blondin. Okay, I, and so, yes, I butchered him. Jean-Francois, let's go. That's the easiest way, right? Jean-Francois. Do any of you here know who Jean-Francois is? Other than that he's French. I just told you. So Jean-Francois, he, walked, he did walk a line. So Jean-Francois, he was a famous tightroper. He did something, and there's a preacher that tells a story that he stretched a rope across Niagara Falls. And as he stretched that tightrope across Niagara Falls, he walked across it. Then he said, how many of you here believe I can do this pushing a man in a wheelbarrow? Everybody raises their hands. And so then he proceeds to ask the question, how many of you here would be willing to be that man? All their hands go straight down. I mean, would you like to be carried on a wheelbarrow, on a tightrope, at over 100 feet in the air, with raging waters on one side and a massive grave on the other? No one would, right? I had the privilege of um, seeing the, the Niagara Falls up, up close on both sides, Canadian and, and American side. I've also been able to see the falls of Iguazu, which is in South America between Argentina and, and Brazil. And let me tell you something about falls. You do not want to be caught in them, much less on top of a tightrope on a wheelbarrow. I can confess to you, I would not be a volunteer. But there's a statement here that we need to kind of grasp a little bit more. Believing that a person can do it is different than believing in the faith or believing that that person is going to do it. Trusting that he's going to follow through right? He believed the man could do it, but he didn't have faith to trust in him with his life. So this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit more about faith, as I said earlier. I want to talk to you about, you know, what comes to your mind when you talk about faith? Do you have, what comes to your mind when you read these statements coming up here on the screen? I have faith in my wife or husband. I have faith in my brain surgeon. I have faith in this bridge. Now, I'm looking forward to going to Key West at some point, and I know there's over, was it 13 miles of nothing but bridge? Your faith is tested on the engineers who built that bridge. Are these statements easy to believe in, to trust? Do you have faith in your husband, in your doctor, in, in, in the person who uh, is going to diagnose you? Or how about this? Perhaps as, as we look at, at, at this um, statement, 
are these statements, are the answers to your questions to these statements, are they based on solid evidence? The reason why you have faith in your husband or your wife is because you have built a relationship with them for X amount of time. Or do you have faith in your brain surgeon because you trust him, because he's well-reputable? He, you have Googled him, and, and, and you have researched him or her, and, and the results are there. You're like, yep, he's the right, she's the right person for the job. I mean, talking about solid evidence, right? If the bridge ain't solid, it ain't working. So these statements lead us to think that faith is usually built on some solid evidence that you have had experience in the past, right? Well, how about on this one? Let me flip the script here just a little bit. I have faith in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, and I trust in Jesus. For some of you, you might say, well, pastor, that hasn't altered, that, had, that has not changed my perspective at all. Because I have solid evidence of his working in my life. Right? Do we really? Do we really? The book of Acts, in chapter 16, verses 30 and 31, there's a story about a man who is asked, what must I do to be saved? What I find interesting is the response. The, res was, the response was you need to study the 28 fundamentals and then live in accordance to them and then be baptized. I heard a strong no way from this side. Right? Was, was the return statement of, well, you need to give up your habitual lying. You need to give up your vice of cheating on your spouse. You need to give up and you fill in the blank. That wasn't the response that was given. The response was simply this. Then he brought them out and said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now this, I'm going to show you three different verses, or I should say three different translations. This is found in, in the English Standard Version. And so the, the, the response was, believe, right? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and you will be saved, you and your household. What I find interesting is that one person can cause salvation to come to one household. Let that sink in for a little bit. Because of one person, salvation is able to come to a household. That doesn't guarantee that the household will be saved. But here Paul, in this, in this translation, it says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at another translation. It says, have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in, in, in the contemporary English version. And in the New Living Translation, translation it says, put your trust in in God. All of them, they use this word interchangeably. Have faith, believe, put your trust in. But it's easier said than done. 
it's easy for us to say, you need to believe, you need to put your trust in, you need to have faith. What does that look like? You know, what does that look like from, 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 from a, a perspective? You know, Paul is writing to the church of, of Rome, and these are the Christians in Rome, not the Roman Catholic Church. In Romans, open your Bibles, please, in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Paul is beginning to describe what justification is. Now, justification is to be accounted innocent, right? Is to somebody to come in and say, it's all right, I got you. So as Paul is writing this in Romans chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, it says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. What I find amazing here is that Paul is echoing the New Testament. He is not saying anything new. When he says that, put your trust in the Lord, that for Abraham, his, he was accounted as righteous by faith, it's because he believed, he acted on the premise of a promise that God had given him. And so he didn't try to to work it out because Paul is saying here because if I if I if grace is given to me as a result of a contract as a result of an exchange as a result because that's what payment is it's an exchange of here I did this therefore I have earned this so if faith is something that I that I can earn then God would be indebted to me that would wipe away the need of a cross. There would no need, to, we would have no need of a Savior. So if I can earn my salvation by coming to church every Sabbath, by paying my, returning my tithe, I like to say pay, to return my tithe, if I observe all the Ten Commandments, if I, now I'm, I'm going to, Say some things that may shock you. If I leave my kitchen messy on the Sabbath because I don't want to wash the dishes because it's a Sabbath, because I can only walk into the water on the beach up to my ankles because if it goes above my ankles, it's considered swimming and you can't do that it's unholy to swim on the sabbath you catch where i'm going there are things that we have been raised 
to believe and to do that are a violation of the Sabbath because we believe that we will be sinning. And therefore, by following the letter of the law, I mean, there were over 600 laws for the observance of the Sabbath during Jesus' time. You couldn't... Let me open my, this, is, this is not in the sermon, but when Jesus and his disciples were walking through the grain field and they plucked the grain and started to rub it in their hands... If you go back to the story, they did not account them for breaking the Sabbath because they stole. Because it was considered to be part of Jewish law to be able to go through a grain field and pluck what you needed to eat for right there and then at that very moment. The problem was that by taking that grain and rubbing it and blowing it so, they, so the shaft would be separating, they were working... but they didn't steal on the Sabbath. The incongruencies, and we fall into those, but now let me, let me dig digress here. Hello, Moto. <laughs> when we come to God and we put our trust in Him, it's not a contract. It never has been. When it says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your house should be saved, put your trust in them, have faith, it's not a contract. So we try by working, by keeping the law, but by putting your trust in the life and death and the resurrection of the Son. And so Paul begins to talk about Abraham. Here in Romans, we've just read this, that for, for Abraham, it was justified it, because he believed, not because he, he followed. Verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. By the way, those same words are found in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. It's, not a, it's not, not a New Testament theology. It's in the Old Testament. Genesis 15, verse 6, has those same very words there. And it was accounted for, to, to Abraham righteousness because he believed. Well, pastor, believing is so easy. Is it? Would you get on a barrel on top of a tightrope? See, we, we try to, to, to think and compare that believing in God, oh yeah, that's easy. It's easy to trust God because God is almighty. No, no, no. So that's not trust. That's belief that he's able to. That's different than putting yourself on that wheelbarrow and, la and letting God carry you through the gap on a tightrope. That's the difference. And so the story of Abraham, if you read it carefully, many people often miss one single detail. 
the detail that when Abraham was told that he was going to be the father of many, he's like, okay, sure, we'll go on with this. And then his wife, as a matter of fact, before, before Sarah laughs, Abraham laughs. I don't know if you've caught this detail in the story before. As a matter of fact, the, the New King James Version, the, its translation says that Abraham fell on his face laughing because he considered his wife and himself to be too old. God didn't do anything. But then you, you skip over to chapter 18. God is visiting Abraham again, and he says, by the way, by this time next year, I think you're going to have a son. And Sarah laughs. In the, it's the same wording. And God says, why did you laugh? <laughs> I, I, I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. Oh, no, I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. See, what is impossible for man is just an open door for God. What is impossible for man is an open door for God. And so Paul, in his gave his letter to the jailer. It says, Believe in, in faith and put your trust in the Lord and you and your household will be saved. And by doing this, we share the faith of Abraham. We share the faith of God taking us, putting us on a wheelbarrow, on top of a tightrope, and wheeling us over into the other side do you have that kind of faith do you have that kind of trust do you believe that God is able to do that would you put yourself in that position you can answer three to all those questions you can answer yes to all those three questions excuse me but would you put yourself in that wheelbarrow would you allow God to you're looking at the side and seeing the water rush underneath you. Feel the mitts coming from un underneath, no, reminding you how cold that water is. The wind coming up, telling you that should you fall, you're a dead man or woman. And the wheelbarrow may tilt a little bit, to one side or the other. I mean, how many of you have ever ridden inside a wheelbarrow? When we lived in Massachusetts, my, my, my son and my daughter asked me all, would ask me all the time when I was outside mowing my lawn because I would take the wheelbarrow and dump the clippings on and I'd take it to the backyard to dump it off. Daddy, can you, can you give us a ride in the wheelbarrow? All right. And so when they would get on, there's a little wobble at first. And then you start going, and they're like, faster! And the faster you go, the easier it is for them to tip over. Do you have that trust in God 
But let, you, let him take you across that gap. You know, when, when our forefathers were writing the Constitution of this country, John Adams received a letter, a scathing letter, by the way, from his wife talking about trust. I want to share this letter with you. Her name is Abigail Adams. This is a, a portrait of what she may have looked like. And this is what she writes. In the new code of laws, which I suppose it will be necessary for you to make, I desire you to remember the ladies and be more generous and favorable to them than your ancestors. Do not put such unlimited power into the hands of the husbands. Remember, all men would be tyrants if they could. Now, I, this is not a sermon on feminism. But I want you to understand the context in which this is coming from. There's a new development coming across. She knows that her husband is, is the premier individual to write the, con the Constitution. But she has the foresight to write to him and says, listen, you need to get this right. And so what he does is that he writes, he doesn't put the word men and women in all there, but he writes that all men are created equal. Men in the plural, not in the genitive but are entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Not a bad list. I'm sure we covered all these things, right? She, she inspired him to make sure to in, incorporate all of these things because she did not trust in that leadership. She didn't have faith. She didn't have uh, assurance. She didn't have confidence. But in the same way in that she inspired him to write this constitution, giving everyone the equal opportunity in the pursuit of happiness and safety and, and liberty and life. God also has a declaration in the same format. And it's found in Galatians. Chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self gentleness, self-control. Against, against such there is no law. But pastor, you're talking about faith in the beginning, but now you're jumping into the fruits of the Spirit. You see, when we talk about faith, most people come to the table with the idea and, and, and the 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 mindset that they have to do something in order for God to act. That's not it. 
You believe and you step forward in faith, not because God has to act, but because he can. But when you live by the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law. You're not bound, you're not tied to a set of rules that you need to follow. Why? Because you're living them already. I would also venture to say that the result of having true faith is that you live these. When you're living this lifestyle, when you, when you have the fruits of the Spirit in love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control... You are putting yourself in a position to, for God to do mighty works through you. You're putting yourself in a position to be carried over the falls. You're putting yourself in a position where you say, all right, Lord, I trust you. Take me over to the other side. And so when this happens, we see God's working. There's an, um, another verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse uh, 13, chapter 4 through 8. You can, I'll, I'll let you look that up, but that is usually, that is the, the, the chapter of love, right? Against, and it talks, and it describes how love is. Love is patient, love is kind. Lo- love is long-suffering. Love does not end. Love does, does not envy or boast. All of these are things that are, 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 are results of our trust in God and Him working through us. It's not one before the other. It's, they're mutually inclusive. They're not exclusive from each other. There was, a, there was an article on, on, on psychology today that talks about the 13 characteristics of great friendships. Being trustworthy is at the top of the line. Being trustworthy, honest, dependable, loyal, trusting, and empathetic, non-judgmental, supportive, in both good and bad times, self-confident, fun, a good listener, and able to share humor. These are the 13 characters of a great friendship. Is God your friend? Is Jesus your friend? You see, we, we talk about all these ideas of having faith and being carried over, but honestly... God wants us to have a relationship where our friendship is established, where, where we are trustworthy also, because it's a two-way street. It's not just me trusting God. This is where the, the script is flipped upside down, because God entrusts us with certain things for us to carry out. You know what one of those things are? VBS. VBS. 
You know what's in a, one of those? One other thing is food distribution. Do you know what other things are? Sabbath school teachers. You catch my drift? You see where I'm going with this? You know, you know what another another element things that he entrusts us with? Pathfinders, adventurers, praise team, audio, visual. All of these things God entrusts us as a result of our friendship with him. We can't expect God to be faithful. I can put myself into that position of the... Uh, I can say, I trust you all the time, Lord. But I'm seeing the wheelbarrow here, but I don't know if I want to get in. That's the message that we say when God calls us to help, when God calls us to serve, when God calls us to walk that walk, and we back out, and we're like, whoa, slow down, No. That's part of being trustworthy. The trustworthy is not just me trusting that God can, but it's me saying, because you can, I will move forward in faith. That's what Abraham's story is all about. He laughed at God, and God says, out of you, you're going to become a father. At 80 years old? Really? That's when he was called. It took him 20 years to have a son. Would any of you here would like to have a child at the age of 100? But yet nothing is impossible for God. Again, I want to go back to Sarah. These are the two verses that I'd like for you to take take note. Write this down. This illustrates the story that we just talked about. How Abraham laughs first, and then Sarah. Genesis 18, 11 through 15, and Genesis 17, 17. I'm not going to get into them. Just make a note of it. But we talked about this. So when God asks you, hey, I need your help. I need you to go and volunteer for VBS. I need you to go and volunteer for Pathfinders. I need you to go and volunteer for becoming a Sabbath school teacher. And you laugh. Are you really being trustworthy with God? In the same way that you would like him to be trustworthy with you? It's a two-way street. So, but Hebrews is interesting. Because Hebrews says this. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. There was no medical procedure there was no test tube fertility treatments even when she was past the age since she considered him faith 
who had promise. If God has called you to be and entrusted you with something completely illogical in your mind, trust me, he's going to open the door for you to walk through. That tightrope is going to get broader and broader, and you're going to be, he's going to be able to carry you through, and you're going to be able to see how much he can take care of you. By faith, when you put yourself in a position to, to, for God to work, he will work. By faith, when you trust in his calling, he's going to open that door. How many times in my, in my life I have seen God, I've done everything I could. Everything. To the point that I said, okay, Lord, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And I get a knock or a call or a text with the exact very thing that I needed to be done. One of these stories took place when I was co-porting in Brazil. It was my freshman year. My, I was gone away from home. And I, for those of you that don't know what co-porting is, is selling books door to door. And I had to, at the time, the entire cost for the semester was about $3,500. And I'm like, I think that's doable. I have two months to do it. My grandfather was a literature evangelist. He was a co-porter. I mean, he was, I have pictures of him with stacks of packages about this high in his house that he had to deliver. I'm like, I think I, I, been, I might have inherited some of his genes. So I gave it a shot. One week goes by. Two weeks go by. Three weeks go by. Four weeks go by. Not a single book I sold. And so I start to panic. And I said, Lord, um, my promise to you is that I would not give up. I would be faithful, and I'm doing my best. You need to come through. A little bit arrogant, isn't it? Five weeks go by. Six weeks go by. On the seventh week, I started selling. On the last week, I sold some more. But I didn't even come up with a third of my tuition. And I remember calling my mom and I said, hey, um, I'm going to need your guys' help this semester because I don't think I'm going to be able to pay for it all. And she said, okay, well, we'll do what we can. got in the bus, went back to school. And as I arrived, I, I, I went through the registration line and then it came time for the financial aspect of, I said, sir, I don't have money to pay. But I was also promised that I would have a job here at the school. And they said, well, 
The only job I have for you is in construction. Now, if you know anything about working in, in South America in, in construction sites, it's very precarious. It's like working outside in Florida without the technology. And he said, well, we don't even, you're going to have to go and speak with the, the CEO of the school. I said, okay. So I went over and I sat down at, in, front of his, in front of him at his, in his office and I said, listen, uh, I want to share something with you. Uh, I didn't sell very much. But I did manage to get 30 days of free airtime in the local TV for a um, for co- a commercial highlighting the school and what we offer. He says, "You did." I said, "Here, here are the proofs." So I pulled out. Back then, there were slides, right? So I pulled out the slides in in in, in printed form. And I said, "This is what I, I I managed to do." He turned around, grabbed the piece of paper, signed it, and gave it to me. And I looked at the, at the bottom of it, and, I, and it had the exact amount I needed for the entire semester. I did not understand what that was, because it wasn't like, it didn't have the word scholarship on it. It didn't have the word payment on it. It just said, Saida um, Jikaisha, which means uh, debited from petty cash, I guess. And he goes, so I asked him, I said, what does this mean? He's like, well, you didn't sell any books, but what you did do is worth a lot more than your tuition. So we're paying your tuition. Go and show the president. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You see, when God calls you to be faithful and to be trustworthy, He wants you to follow through all the way to the end until you can no longer push forward. Because at that very moment, that's when God pushes. And the results are much bigger and better than you could ever expect. That's what faith is. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive. Why? Because she put herself finally in a position where God could work a miracle. See, you can put yourself in that position all you want. You can say, God, I trust in you, but are you really putting yourself in that position for God to carry you through? In Christ's Object Lessons, Ellen White writes this, when those who claim to be children of God become Christ-like in character, they will be obedient to God's commandments. This is not legalism. This is the consequence. The consequences of you trusting, being being trustworthy with God, the result will be that you will follow His commandments and and you will emulate His character and that He will then be able to Trust them to be of the number who shall compose the family of God in heaven. When we put ourselves in that position, 
What she's saying here, when you are trustworthy with the things that God has given you, then you will be trusted to be in heaven. In other words, God can't trust you to be saved. He can't trust you to give you salvation if you never allow yourself to be led by him. Let that sink in for a little bit. You will never be given heaven if you don't put yourself in a position to be led by him. If you aren't trustworthy with the things he's given you. One more. Clothed in the glorious apparel of Christ's righteousness, they have a place in the, king, in the king's feast. They have a right to join the blood-washed throng. I want to ask you this morning, are you willing to be trusted? Are you willing to be entrusted by God? Are you willing to put yourself in a position where you can say, Lord, let me get in this wheelbarrow and you take me through. You walk. I can walk this tightrope on my own with all the training I can get, but I need you to push me through. You see, you can get across to the other side on the tightrope, but you haven't given yourself the opportunity for God to carry you. You will never know what that is like. My friends, there's one thing I want you to take away from this, this morning's sermon is this. Allow God to work in you. Put yourself in a position where, he can, where you can be entrusted with his gifts. So you will have the experience and the joy of seeing the danger around you, but knowing that you are safe because God is leading you. And knowing that the end is coming because God has brought you through it. And knowing that you're going to have a reward on the other side because you allowed yourself to be trustworthy with God's will for your own life. May God bless you. And may God continue to help you grow, to be trustworthy, a trustworthy friend, a friend of God.